Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. All right, DTC pod. Well, I'm really excited to record episode 200. It feels like a really crazy and long journey. Um, What's interesting about episode 200 is like, you know, top one, you know, just like I think the biggest key to success for the top 1% of podcasts is just like the consistency over a period of time. I can't remember when exactly episode one was recorded. I mean, obviously, there's been a few obvious changes with like, you know, we had Jay on, um, Jay left to do other things in his career. And then it was at an interesting point um, when we met because that transition hadn't happened yet. Um, and we met at on deck. How long ago do you think that was? It's probably last year. I think that was, yeah, that was May, May of last year. Um, and we were kind of just chatting about the podcast. We had um, a lot of overlap and interest in the, you know, in this e-commerce space, e-commerce, creator space, consumer space. Um, and we kind of just got to talking. And uh, I think the timing had just worked out perfectly where Jay was kind of on the way out and you were like, hey, I need to I want to keep running this and we're like oh look perfect we got a spot in Miami let's let's do it yeah but what I think was like really fitting was your operational experience and like the fact that it it was operational experience that wasn't like e-commerce specific experience and I think that's what's made this podcast unique it's the fact that you know we're not necessarily obsessing about the DTC pays from an e-commerce operator landscape and bring a different perspective and point of view. Um, you know, myself in the creator space, but also yourself having built a consumer app and marketplaces, um, scaling, growing that, the operations of that um, have really just allowed us to kind of create and craft these conversations with guests in a way that probably like are out of the norm for their individual like their specific interviews that they have it's been fun to like see the podcast also evolve from you know in the beginning like i would and i mean in the beginning i remember like we couldn't even get you know anyone to like want to be a part of the podcast so it was just like me and jay having these sort of conversations and and slowly just like everything like momentum builds up Mm -hmm. um and we're starting to see a lot of that now where like you know we get a lot of interest um from the podcast but before we even go like into the podcast or you know sort of like where where it's going and all of that um you know i want to talk a little bit more about like the value that you've brought on to the table you know obviously like one of the biggest Um, improvements we've made is sort of like 
making this a media play bigger than just an audio format like you know you've taken a lot of ownership on the content of the social um and and we've already seen the kind of success that that's bringing um the kind of doors that's opening the kind of attention and the kind of value add that is bringing for our potential future partners so um yeah. i think it would be great if like you just kind of give like a background perspective like from you know your background like why did you find this particularly interesting and like how has that this met your expectation from you know that initial belief yeah i think one of the things that you just hit on and kind of where we're taking the podcast is we see a really interesting opportunity what one th one of my favorite things that we get to do is bring on some of the most amazing founders across the commerce space and we've learned a ton in terms of bringing them on the types of brands they're building, the commonalities we see between uh, operators at these different brands, the differences and kind of their unique vantage points and what, what makes their businesses special and then how they go and build and execute on these businesses. Um, but, you know, I guess to speak a little bit to my background, um, the first company I started seated, which I've kind of alluded to a little bit on the podcast, but haven't really got into, they are a, um, you know, we were a consumer, uh, a restaurant booking app where we would partner with restaurants um, in major cities as well as big consumer brands. And we would drive traffic to these restaurants at the times that they could accommodate them. And when when customers would book with Seated, um, they would get rewards back and they could redeem those rewards for credits to these major consumer brands like you know Amazon, Uber, uh, SoulCycle, um, and all these other like great popular consumer brands. So um, kind of as you alluded to, in order to pull something that off, it, something like that off, it takes a lot, it took a lot of, um, you know, it took a marketplace lens, a consumer lens, um, you know, and, and that's, and, as well as just general problem solving. It wasn't probably, it was not the easiest uh, business to build, um, especially in the early days. It took a really amazing team. I think the team is, you know, they've grown massively. They're, they're well beyond their Series B now. Um, and, uh, and just taking that lens of building a consumer company and all the different variables that come with it, uh, and then applying that to commerce and the chats that we have with founders in this space, it's really cool to also see the overlap there um, and it's something that we see a ton and you see um, all these commerce businesses they start just maybe selling one product they start DDC selling one product and then they grow and then all these other topics become that traditional consumer businesses and consumer technologies face uh, commerce businesses start to tackle in their own lens so whether that's um, customer retention lifecycle marketing partnerships um, growing ad budget um, you know solving operational challenges like it's all kind of the same stuff and you're appealing to consumers and you're getting their buy-in and you're working with creators and you're working with this ecosystem of partners to build these businesses so that's kind of the lens that i want to bring to the table and i think the goal is as we've seen is just to really bring out these amazing stories from all these founders and operators get their unique vantage point and hopefully those vantage points from um, builders who build and think a little bit differently can inspire um, other builders and within this community with ideas to grow their business. I know one of the most things for us is like these founders that we'll have on, they'll, they'll talk about like, oh, I'm building, you know, I'm building a, for example, Greg from New Wave comes to mind, right? Like, oh, I'm building a, a, a CPG coffee product that helps you focus, but my business isn't about the coffee, it's about the, the habit of 
like productivity, right? And from the outside, a lot of these businesses, you may just look at them in a product lens instead of a business lens. So hopefully we can tell all these amazing stories from all the founders that we have on in, in this episode. Definitely want to recap a couple of those uh, stories, a couple of the tactics, a couple of the trends that we're seeing. Um, but yeah, and I think to you, to, to what you've done with trend and the businesses that you've built, um, having that lens in the creator space, that makes things really interesting as well. Um, and again, I think what we're seeing is this um, confluence of, uh, of consumer businesses, of commerce businesses and creator businesses. And what we want to do at DTC Pod is really uh, bring up and share these examples and stories from um, all these different pockets and try to share the overlap and create an amazing community of builders, creators and consumer founders to you know, help build the next generation of amazing business. Yeah, I mean, and ideally, like, you know, for those people that do get inspired, they can plug into this ecosystem of like trusted partners and benefits and everything where like your your chances of success, you know, become so much higher. Um, you know, at this point, we've talked to so many marketing agencies, branding agencies, we have relationships all the way, you know, from like ideating from, you know, working with companies like Wix, Shopify, um all the way to like hey did you grow that and like are you looking to sell it for like a life-changing amount of money without the hassle without like the exit plan that you want with things like open store um and just being able to like plug into that this ecosystem and understand your journey from the beginning all the way to the end um you know what you're alluding to in the creator space i think is like one of the reasons why the the intention for dtc pod was built it was like that that like just me working with creators and seeing that they owned like you know quote unquote owned their distribution of course like it sits on third parties like instagram whatever but like it's still such like a huge advantage over just having to pay your way into customer acquisition um it was a really, it's a long-term strategy, like building this podcast. But I think like, you know, even as we talked about technology companies, like there's just almost, it's almost inevitable that like you have to do this kind of stuff and like have your own native content um, and sort of a way to own your distribution. And this is why, you know, we we've alluded to like commerce isn't just Commerce isn't just like, you know, products or physical goods. Like commerce is creators, yes, sure, selling their physical goods, but like the fact that they own their distribution have a lot of interesting insights for anyone running a brand to learn from. Because again, I go back to that point where I just think that brands are gonna have to um, have their own native content play in-house. It's just inevitable. Well, I think it's like one of those things that you see where, you have all the like tech companies that want to become media companies and media companies want to be tech companies. Um, And I think you see that overlap with uh, like, I guess the equivalent would be in the commerce space, right? You're seeing creators who want to become like commerce companies and you have commerce companies that are becoming creators, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Right, exactly. So, and, and at the end of the day, what it really boils down to is like, 
what you're creating and what's being created is brand. And then you have different ways to monetize that brand, whether it's through a product, a service, like, you know, a physical good, et cetera. So, um, and I think that's where a lot of the overlap comes. So for a creators, they've, they have a personal brand, right? That they're able to create products that tie into their brand and then they can monetize their brand that way through a product, right? Which is what I think you're seeing a lot of and how Shopify, for example, is like leaning so far into creators because they know, they understand creators have distribution and this is merchandising and products, especially sold on Shopify, are a great way to leverage and monetize that brand that they've built, right? In the same way that if you built a, a brand, you can create products around uh, that are like specific physical goods, and then you can continue to add more different SKUs of your product. Uh, maybe you loop in services on top of that, but at the end of the day, that's what I think the common thread is between all these different things. It's, it's brand, right? Um, so, so what has caught you off guard the most, I guess, or like surprised you the most? after talking with e-commerce founders that you're like, oh man, I didn't expect that to be that way within e-commerce companies. Or I don't know if it's necessarily caught off guard, but what I think is one thing that's been really interesting is just the variety of backgrounds these people come from. It's not, um, it just really goes to show that anyone who's ambitious and entrepreneurial can kind of uh, create one of these businesses. Um, we've seen people who have been like, X, you know, investment banking. We've seen people who are enterprise sales. We've seen people who, uh, you know, are just, we're kind of like building it as a side project and then all of a sudden it got legs. Um, I mean, we even saw like David uh, Gaylord and Bushbaum, he was like running CX at Shopify and then was like building his own business on the side within that ecosystem, obviously understood the product contours, but now he's like the CEO of a big commerce business. Um, so I think the interesting takeaway for me is that it can really be, you know, anyone who is like the, the bar to look like the bar is so much more, it's more accessible. If you want to create uh, a business, you're ambitious and you found a product that like interests you and that is a mission that you want to really get behind like you can go create it and it, it it doesn't matter what your background is right and i think like what's interesting about that is like you know to scratch your own itch it's not necessarily true in ddc or e-commerce because we've talked to so many founders that like some of them it was a pool like, yes, they did, um, you know, sort of like stumble into this thing. They shared it with a few friends and it took off. And then we've also had, you know, Chris from Crossnet, um, Bushbaum, Starday Foods that like they were more so looking for opportunity in the market that it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I did this problem for myself. And then and it's like they ended up becoming just as successful yeah. of a business, if not like some of the more, you know, successful ones. It just shows like that the space is like non-judgmental yeah. across the board whatsoever. Um, what has surprised me the most has been like how operationally like efficient some of these companies can be like, you know, when we talk with some of the companies that we're talking to 10 million plus in revenue and they're like we're a team of six like i don't know if like that's really hard to pull off in software like some companies sure do it um surely do it but uh and especially with like thin margins i mean i guess like you know you you almost have to at, at that point um and like 
what's also impressive is like how many of these companies like haven't had VC money. Um, and yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole, a whole nother topic. And, right. and I, I think like, you know, I want, that's another topic that I want to get into is like, what are some of the major trends that we've seen from, um, a lot of these businesses. And I think to your point, um, one of the clear, uh, challenges that any D2C business faces is the financing component, right? Like they've, even after they've tapped into product market fit at the end of the day, you're buying and selling a physical product, which means you need inventory and you need to forecast your demand and then you be, need to be able to sell that out. So clearly, um, you know, inventory and being able to finance future inventory, which is where you're generating your future revenues are coming from is a, a big challenge for a lot of these brands because traditionally the types of um, loans you can get are not, you know, the, it's, it's capital's expensive. But I think as we're seeing, there's more and more opportunities and ways. I know uh, like one of your buddies, Nick, is work with Upside, like they're working on um, a really cool solution to be able to like, uh, you know, finance inventory and stuff like that. And there'll be more solutions to that in the space. But like you're saying, at the end of the day, commerce businesses, there, there are margins, margins are real and you need to be operating within your means. Um, and because the financing is, 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 it's different than SaaS, right? It's not pure margin, but at the same time, you can tap into a massive consumer market. You can generate demand. You can create all these amazing products. Um, and like all these businesses have kind of like the same formula and tech stack, if you will, but then they can go in all these variety of different ways um, and scale. So I think that's another like interesting side of the well like that's that's the beauty but that's also like the beast of e-commerce is the fact that like you know they all can have like i can literally spin up you know a website an e-commerce business plug into all the resources to make my product i know what are the shopify apps that i need but where I'm gonna hit a wall is like when I go on Facebook and then I have to bid on the same exact keywords that like everyone else in this space that's like saturated is trying to go after. And like, if it's not the saturated space, it's like, then I have to spend that money on on like the education um, and or like on keywords that like, I mean, not you know, Facebook doesn't operate by keywords, but like, or on people, you know, targeting audiences that like, don't know that this yet is a problem or might not even be a problem. So um, I, I think like I want to see more of like brands that are just natively operating from a native content perspective. Like that's why like and we can get into it, but like that's why Tabs is like one of my favorite companies that we've had because they've been told like, no, you cannot get on Facebook ads or TikTok ads. And they're like, Hell yeah, we're gonna make an opportunity out of that. Whereas like with Trend, I've talked with companies that are building a native strategy and they're all just complaining about like how stupid it is that like they can't advertise on Facebook and like, but instead like embracing that as like a unique it's advantage. Yeah. It's like, you can't be taken down at that point and your company is now like a much larger asset. Well, I think the, the, the state the, that the market was in, you know, call it five or six years ago when you were growing. And this was this was happening when we even were growing seeded um, as well as like a lot of these really popular like e-commerce darlings you would think were being um, founded was it was a different landscape for Facebook ads. Um, they were cheap. So in the same way, there were a lot of like venture scale businesses um, that whose strategy was like a blitz strategy where you just 
burn a ton of money, you make it to scale, and then because you've already achieved that scale, you can figure out if the like unit economics and everything checks out. And clearly you're seeing in venture um, today that that is no longer you know as viable as a strategy as it was. I mean, you see it sometimes if you're uh, if it's a founder with like an amazing pedigree or whatever, and they want to launch mm -hmm. a new thing, they'll get yeah. they'll be able to draw up a lot of capital and um, you know pre-product and and that sort of thing. But in general, I mean, you could think of it. There, a lot of these e-commerce brands, what they were able to do was Facebook ads were so cheap. Um, like even when we we're like talking, if you remember when we were talking with Terry from when he was at MeUndies, and like the podcast, like podcast advertising was so cheap, they could get all this distribution, and um, and that effectively like you finance your growth for super cheap, and then your operational blunders and your customer retention, all that stuff doesn't quite matter as much. Whereas what you're seeing today is you really need to own your audience, and and like you were seeing whether it's Tabs or some of these other companies, you either need to crack the nut of how do we grow. Uh, awareness org organically, which will convert into sales, or how do we grow um, customer, like how do we build a viral customer loop? So like every time we sell a product, you know, a person's gonna tell more than one other person and we're gonna grow virally that way through your owned audience. And obviously media buying and, and ads is always gonna be a thing and it'll always be um, wherever the next best arbitrage opportunity goes. That's where the smartest marketers will have their ad, ad budget set towards. But I think just in, in, in broad strokes, I think that's kind of what the market is kind of. Yeah, and I mean, it's like the people that are doing this, like awful too, which is, you know, they had Dave Portnoy sort of promote the brand. And so it's crazy that like TikTok's algorithm, like people post tabs and, you know, the, the videos even tend to do better. And so, you know, it, it, it goes from like, not just the creators, like being able to sort so like, it's almost like it's adding value to the creators just by being able to promote and work with the brand. Um, and that just shows like, it's more than just seeding product or paying influencers. Like the media strategy goes way deeper than that. Um, and it's not just about, you know, running the Facebook ads or, or just seeding product. That's like your entire um, product play. I think like, that's one of the things that we've tried to drill on every episode um, and extract from every company we've talked with. So speaking of every company we've talked with, like, um, what are, you know, do you want to dive into some of the episodes we've had or? Yeah, I definitely want to get into episodes. And one quick thing I wanted to also get into is just like on, on the heels of like talking about, um, you know, marketing budgets, Facebook ads and things that all these brands are kind of thinking about. I know, um, one thing that we've been hearing a bunch about is like the Shopify audiences feature that they're launching. And, and I guess what that's doing is it's helping, you know, across the Shopify ecosystem, there's, you know, millions and millions and millions of consumers. Um, maybe they're not all from the same store, but they're from different stores. So Shopify, uh, what they're doing to like leaning into to help their merchants is basically building an audiences tool so that there can be some kind of like oh, yeah. audience sharing for um, Shopify plus brands to help make sure that the targeting of those ads is like resonates a little bit more. And hopefully that can be a little tailwind to um, combat some of the headwinds that you're seeing with um, all the attribution issues in, in iOS 14. Yeah, that's going to be super interesting to see play out. I don't understand enough about like how all of that works, but like, are you, where are you going to target these audiences? 
So basically what, what it's doing is it's you, like if you have a product that you, um, that you know like what the general audience is for, mm -hmm. like Shopify has many different stores with many different buyers who have that like per personality type. So you can like build a big audience for that in, and then be able to feed that audience that you've built through Shopify. It's anonymized data, so you're not gonna be, like you don't know, it's not like you're getting their customer list from all these different oh. stores, but it's anonymized and then plugged into Facebook. So you're able to like acquire like really good leads and hopefully that should, um, you know, bring down costs. So that that's that's gonna be, I think, so a big like thing So it's like recycling all of the audiences from across all, all the Shopify, Shopify stores. stores. Exactly. Sorry, so you, if you have, you know, for example, if you have a hat brand, yeah. you can tap into the audiences of all the other consumers who have bought hats that don't know about your hat brand. You yeah, won't yeah. know who they are, but you can kind of access that audience yeah. and plug it into Facebook. That's super interesting because, hmm. So I guess they're testing it out with Shopify Plus where like the quality of the customer, is probably like a lot higher the quality of the brand like they're much more marketing savvy so it'll much like yeah like and, and i mean i i don't know what the back end necessarily looks like but you got to figure like for someone who's like a savvy shopify consumer and if they're a good audience like for me what i think shopify's done a really good job of even in for example like shop pay like as a consumer i use the app a bunch and when i need to go buy uh, new products from Shopify stores, it's just really easy for me. It's basically like one click Amazon checkout, mm -hmm. but for Shopify. So when I'm making repeat purchases, or even if I wanna like, like for example, I was, I was in, I was traveling the other week I was for Memorial Day. I'm super into photography. I dropped and broke one of my, one of my cameras and I needed, a, uh, I needed a replacement piece for it. And so I needed to get something from the, uh, the Leica store in Miami and I was like traveling and I saw they were on, uh, they're like a Shopify source, their e-commerce arm. Mm. So it was the easiest thing in the world. It's like, this isn't even a store that I've ever shopped at as a consumer, but I just pull up their app um, and was able to one click checkout, have the piece instantly to my house. And that becomes really easy instead of like as a consumer, me going in, finding a new website, sign up for an account, enter your email, enter your credit card details. Right. Um, so theoretically, if you're already targeting and leveraging audiences that are like Shopify native, um, you know, you're gonna get better conversion and lower friction to check out and all that good stuff. Um, and then one other topic I wanna talk about before we get into our stores, like other trends we've been seeing is um, definitely subscription. So where brands can, they obviously like to play up subscription. Um, yeah, I mean, some people like, I remember actually right here, we recorded with Dan Snow and he was like, if it's not subscription, I don't even wanna start a DDC business. Sure, and, and that's, I guess, one lens to look at it. and. I know there's a million different ways to right. assess an opportunity for a business that you're going to start or not start. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to building a good product. But uh, if you're looking for other frameworks to build out and you haven't started, like, yeah, if you can probably create and tap into something that be, is a habit and part of someone's everyday life, like, yeah, you're going to get more recurring revenue LTV. It's going to become more predictable. And those are in general, like, it's a good thing to have as a business operator having subscription uh, recurring revenue. Yeah, um, but I, like it's it's also um, but like, like you're not going to force a subscription right. on something that can't be right. Yeah, like that would be that would be silly. But for sure, um, for the right products, and I think one interesting thing is we've had a couple uh, operators. I mean, bite. What's yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, like for example, we had um, I know Byte came on, Better and Better came on. Who else? Um, I was, yeah, we got bite. Um, we'll, sh we'll, we'll pull out some more of these in a second, but, um, 
for these products, one other trend we've noticed is that like they are trying to like leverage different parts of a ritual or a habit or getting things that fit into your like daily routine. Because once you can nail that, even if it's a super niche routine that someone does on, whether it's a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever basis, again, now you open up the opportunity for a, um, for a subscription and recurring revenue. Yeah, I think that's where like, that's where I really like the Star Day Foods kind of business because you can go specifically after like an opportunity that does fit all those criterias. Um, because like, yeah, sometimes you might have a great business idea from like a use case that is, you know, that happened to you specifically. But like, if you're not insanely passionate about that, like maybe just do the exercise of like, okay, daily habit, you know, weekly habit, monthly habit, huge list of all of those, see where like the friction points can be and maybe like try and build a business in, in that sector. Unless like, you know, that other, you know, yeah, specific business that like a subscription doesn't fit for, it's like super dear to you and it's the space you want to work in forever. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a ton of different ways to get into a business. And just because a business is a good opportunity doesn't mean you're necessarily operator to execute on it. Because if like, if you start to try to say, oh, I found the perfect opportunity for an e-commerce building business and it's not a mission and a product that you actually care about, it's probably going to be a grind trying to work on yeah. that. So I think like step one, it's got to be something that really like inspires and speaks to you as a founder um, that's worth getting really excited about because like no startup is easy. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, yeah, if you can check out, check a few of the different boxes, um, then, you know, by all means. But I do like, I remember Caroline from Starday when she came on and what we talked a lot about was their framework for evaluating opportunities. So building a conglomerate um, of CPG brands under one roof and saying, let's go see what, let's go validate ideas before we create all these products and try to take them to market. Let's make sure there's market demand for them. Let's make sure there's white space. Let's make sure they're in opportunities where we like the margins, where we like the opportunity, et cetera. And then let's build, let's build them out and leverage all the work that we're doing across brands to create multiple ones. So I think yeah. that's, that was definitely an interesting framework um, to hear as, hear as an operator. When I was actually, when I was starting Trend, like right before I was working on this company with a friend that was like sort of in, I think it was like in the data lead space or something like that. And I just couldn't picture myself like doing it. And even though like it had legs, like it was working, um, it was just like, I, I just can't see myself like doing this for, for a long period of time. So I think, you know, that's that was the benefit of having ran a company before, I guess, like knowing how long you'll be in it. So it's like, yeah, you also have to like love care. it. Yeah, yeah, love love it and care about it. Cause like you're just not gonna you're not gonna give enough thought to like the really challenging problems when like your supplier is like, you know, telling you you can't be their customer anymore. Like you're just not gonna have enough energy no, and, and passion to and go to, figure it out. To that, I'll I'll just give you a personal anecdote. Um so when we started Seated, like how we ended up in the restaurant space to begin with, it came out of a pivot. So like, you know, coming out of college or whatever, we were, we wanted to build an app, we wanted to build a social app. So we actually started, raised capital first from like friends and family to build this, like the future of group chat, which was linked to 
commerce. So we believed that like if you could get people chatting in groups and doing things, they were the ones to go out together. So we're like, okay, we're gonna build group mm -hmm. chat. We got all these groups on, they're chatting. Um, and then we're like, okay, now we're gonna start partnering with, uh, with restaurants, with fitness studios, with event spaces, and kind of connect these groups together, right? And there was a, like a little traction there, um, but not enough signal to like really go all in on and be able to raise on. And having raised all this capital from like friends and family, like we weren't, I wasn't about to be like, oh, hey guys, sorry, this isn't working. So we pivoted hard and made the choice to like, restaurants were working, we're getting a bunch of adoption. Um, and so we made a pretty aggressive pivot, it, like changed the name of the company, it became Seated. Um, exclusively restaurants, we cut out all the group chat portion and it was just about restaurant booking and rewards, like that was it. Um, and when we did that, for me personally, um, at the time, like, yeah, I loved food, food's great, I liked the consumer space, I liked the mission, I liked the consumer brands that we're doing, but like, when I grew up and I thought about missions that really got me excited, like food and restaurants, like it wasn't, that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. um, my co-founder Bryce, for example, I, I remember the first time I met with him, he was someone who was super into food. He was like a foodie, like New York foodie, all the spots, like mm -hmm. all the chefs and, and everything. So like that was a mission that like really spoke to him. So like as we had gotten over like, you know, thousands of merchants and raised all this money and we were starting to get in the scaling space, that was the time where I peeled off from there because I was like, look, I've been at this for five plus years um, and like I want to go pursue challenges and businesses that mm -hmm. speak to me as a founder. Um, whereas, you know, Bryce, like the, he was all about this uh, mm -hmm. and, and they're still running and they're, they're, they're doing incredibly well. But um, I think that just goes back to the whole point where you can operate and you can run a business that like any business. I, I believe generally like people right. are smart, right? You right. can you can craft businesses and like if, if we had many of our guests on, like if they told me they were building a totally different product, I'd be like, yeah, you're gonna, you could totally do that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it comes to what's the problem you're trying to solve and is this something that you can get excited about on a daily basis? But you got lucky that like your partner was still passionate about the mission because if that had happened to like, it, let's say you didn't have any co-founders, mm -hmm. which like actually, I think majority of the, I don't know that that's an interesting data point that I, I don't know off the top of my head if like majority of the e-commerce founders we've had on have had co-founders or not. Um, I think most most do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And like, but if your other co-founder is also like, you know, the, it's over not it. as bad over it, um, there goes like six years um, plus of your life or your career. Cool. Um, and then. Okay, enough about the founding stuff. Let's talk about um, another topic is, so we talked about subscription unit economics. Um, other trends that we start to see coming up are um, SMS. Yeah. So SMS, this is a channel that I know a lot of marketers and brands are really excited about um, in terms of being able to deliver experiences. Um, what are, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on the SMS uh, space and where, where do you see this going? I get blown away sometimes when I just see a lot of these numbers in terms of like how much percentage of revenue is coming from SMS, all that, because I hate getting text messages like as a consumer, um, even if like, and you know, like, of course, the brands know how to speak to their consumers. Um, I guess I'm like, I'm an unusual consumer in the sense where like, 
there's very few products that I'm like really passionate about, you know? Um, and so to me, uh, it's like I, I, I have my phone from like, especially with like, I guess being a CEO of like yeah. trending a company, I have Slack, I have email, I have text, yeah. like I have WhatsApp. Like it's just so many points of conversations that I just like my phone to be for my personal relationships only. Um, but like, you know, I see why it works because my inbox, forget about it. Like yeah, I don't even use, much. I don't even so, open any promotional emails. So I think like what that. it comes down to, and this is the interesting thing to balance as a marketer and a brand is like that line between marketing and brand. So like what marketing does is marketing is going to help generate cash flow immediately. And what brand is, is like brand is the side where you cultivate this relationship with uh, the consumer and then they're the ones that like want to buy because like you've created such a strong brand, right? So marketing, whether it's sending a promo with like, like on the performance side of things, hey, like do you want to buy now or hey, why don't you do this and getting customers to take an action, that's what that is. So. Obviously, I, th I think the numbers are going to speak for themselves in SMS. Um, you know, you send messages to enough people, you're going to get conversion. That's conversion that you weren't likely getting because like they have the notification in their phone that's really going to work. And I think where the question is and where this goes is how do marketers, how do they be smart about being able to provide value as they um, exchange SMS with their customers? And how do they not see it as the same, like if they see it as just a, a channel like email where it's like I'm getting a promo from a brand every week and they're not like really adding value in my life like mm -hmm. as a consumer I'm gonna be right. like oh my god get out of here but um, and I think that's a very tight line to walk like for example in terms of value like if there's a product I ordered and I'm really excited about getting and I get a text message saying hey your products on the way it's almost here like I'm never gonna be upset about that oh, sure. um, because they're providing value yeah. but um, and I think where that line needs to be walked is like I know there's a lot of the enablement players in the game. I know you've got things like Attended, Postscript, Clavio is doing SMS, and I saw this other company like that just raised a massive round yeah. around it. Like everyone's getting in on the uh, the SMS train. Emotive is another one, um, but you know, like it's really easy to buy into the the Clavillo dialogue. Is doing SMS. What's that? Clavillo. Oh, are they? Yeah. yeah. And it's really easy to buy into the idea that like, oh, SMS works, just send SMS and you'll get, get conversion. And like you will, but like, I think that's going to be what brands really need to f walk that fine line of is like, how do you, how do you provide value? How do you get engagement? How do you use it to drive performance without, um, you know, stepping on people's toes to the point where they're like, okay, unsubscribe and like, shut up. But at the same time, like it's probably worth doing and trying because like the worst oh, that could happen is an unsubscribe yeah you know like i i you know i think even if people unsubscribe um you're back to you're back to square one you're so, long back as to you square one. so long as you don't like i mean you're not you're not gonna brand. burn like it's i mean you have to really fuck up for the brand to be like the customer to be like i'm never buying a product from this brand again like they're likely not gonna do that just from you Sending trying to help money. them and like sending them a message the worst that can happen is an unsubscribe i mean if i unsubscribe to an email i'm not like i'm never buying this product yeah. again like how dare you send me an email as now if it's something that like i never opted into and like you start sending me promotional texts then like i'm like no yeah. um so yeah i i mean look brands it goes back to like brands having to own their audience and like we mentioned earlier uh, like 
you know, it's tough. And like email is all you have. Like it, yeah. it, the, the good thing about it is like you, you have more power over it than like an Instagram follower. Like, you know, Instagram will shut down your account for no reason. Like you can't, you know, if you, if you have another way to hedge against losing your audience, you know, emails are the only thing you might have that's the closest to owning your audience. And so what, and what, uh, and that. what consumer brands have, like what we had in, in seated and like in the, in terms of like the life cycle marketing stuff is like, we had push notifications, right. As mm -hmm. like being an app. Yeah, um, we and, have those. and you have push notifications, right. Um, but, uh, but, um, e-commerce brands off, yeah. what's that like like people can just yeah, turn you can them off. and that yeah. was like the worst that would happen to us but like um you know we would grow we'd send out push notifications etc and you you walk that fine line because again notifications it's a simple it's a similar thing but um yeah i mean i think this is the this is the e-commerce equivalent to push notifications mm -hmm. and um we'll see how brands continue to leverage those in in the next um you know coming years um other things let's see we've got DTC becoming the test net for CPG. So another trend we've been seeing a lot of is uh, CPG brands that are looking to launch um, are relying on own DDC channels to quickly test, iterate, gather feedback from the community um, and release like special types of product offerings for like loyal customers that way. Um, depending on what your product is, uh, the cogs work out differently. So a lot of the companies that we've talked to in beverage, like they, you know, they will sell DTC, but that's not a main channel for them just because of the pure cost associated and with shipping a physical product to a place. Um, but, um, you know, that's just something that we've seen. And then there's kind of been like this whole revolution in, in CPG, uh, and of, of these brands, like really propping each other up, getting listed in, um, you know, all these popular markets. Like you, like, I know you found a ton of, uh, stuff at pop-up grocer. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I think I, it's funny because I think it's like full circle. I mean, look, I lived in Austin for like four years or something, um, you know, two years ago and Austin was like a, had a huge boom for CPG. I mean, it still does. Uh, so I remember just like listening to investors talking about CPG back then. And, um, it, it's just, it's funny how, like, I, I think it was a full cycle of Facebook traffic arbitrage was just an era. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to have that again. Um, and you know, yeah, TikTok is, a is, a, I mean, yeah, there's always going to be a new marketing channel. Um, but I think what we're seeing is like retail being taken a lot more seriously again. Um, especially with, you know, I think like even what's going on in the overall economy. Um, I saw the, what's, what's his name? Sean from Ridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was just saying how, like, even though the economy is like this, like the mall was like popping today. Yep. Um, and so I just think retail is going to be seen taken a lot more seriously and like potentially even more stepped up and being like converted into an experience yeah. where you can get even like specifically targeted like the CPG, the what's it called? The pop-up pop grocery thing. Yeah, no, and, and I think like at the end of the day, DTC, when Shopify came along, it gave an avenue for all these people who in DTC call it 1.0 or 2.0, like 10 years ago, if you didn't know how to code, and you wanted to launch a 
consumer product, mm -hmm. you would spin it up and like you're going retail, you probably open up a shop and then your shop grows and then you open up another location and like that's how you grow. Whereas uh, Shopify has basically flipped that whole model. One for people who wanted to innovate in the consumer space and then now you see it even more in like creator, creator led brands, et cetera, where you can validate, create a brand, create like, you know, your first party data and uh, a product that people like your owned audience that people love. And then from there, you can start to like launch strategic hubs for your product. And I think, you know, this new wave of DDC prints, that's, you know, something that pretty obviously you see in terms of their go to market um, is start selling online and then when you become big enough and when you can get ROI from being able to A, push product and B, create uh, and a relationship is, and more as like a marketing and brand and like a hub for your brand to live and A, you're obviously going to attract new customers but um, that's kind of what, what, the, what the playbook looks like. Um, cool. And then I guess last thing in terms of um, Enablement, what we're seeing is like a whole lot of Shopify apps and different like platforms pop up. And um, I've heard from many merchants that they're just like overwhelmed with all the like different options. I think uh, as Shopify continues to grow, one of the challenges to them and what they, what they, their, their bet was we're going to have all these people come into our ecosystem, be able to build, that's going to allow us to move really faster. Mm -hmm. But now what you sort of see is some, some level of technical sprawl between all the different solutions and operating things and you're built on Shopify and then you have a different platform for your returns and your loyalty and your help desk and uh, your email and everything like that. And um, there's obvious uh, inefficient operational inefficiencies that start to pop up there. So it'll be interesting to see as Shopify continues to grow, like what line they take in terms of like reeling that in, so to speak, as well as like letting all the people who have built their ecosystem continue to build it up. Um, I just know that. Uh, oh, wait, well, it's like, there's like platforms like cart.com who are like- Exactly, you we're know, taking the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. I think the other side of it is like super interesting um, because I, I really do think like, there's like, you know, it's kind of building like the sales force of e-commerce yep. where like, hey, each offering is a product in its own and it all comes from one company and like, as you know, those unit economics are like insanely like yeah. strong for these companies, which means they're going to get stupid aggressive with their like sales approach. I mean, cart.com is like billion dollar business already. Oh, it was the fast. It was like one of the fastest growing businesses <laughs> yeah. of all time in terms of, I think it was like the fastest growing to what a hundred millionaire or a millionaire. I'd love to, yeah. For anyone listening, if you guys have any merchants built on cart, would love to yeah. uh, have some. Cause I know, um, most of the merchants we speak with are Shopify native. Right. Um, but yeah, if there's any brands that you know that are, uh, I'll have to ask one of my buddies, um, yeah. over there, but, um, yeah. And then I think as we wrap up here, um, one thing I want to do, one, one thing me and Ramon wanted to do is kind of just like recap some of the episodes that we've been through. And, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough. One of the fun parts is getting to experience and like learn about some of these products ourselves. So we want to do a little segment and talk about some of um, our favorite episodes and some of the products that we have here uh, with us. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't have a product specifically for this one that I did want to talk about, which is like from Pattern, um, Emmett. It was one of my favorite. Are you good? Um, yeah, one of the products that we don't have here that I wish like 
um, we had a product office from one of the conversations I had with Pattern uh, with Emmett because Emmett comes from the agency space, um, built, you know, was creative mindset behind a bunch of like huge billion dollar brands. And so he just found himself in a position where it was like, hey, you're actually the one being the creative behind all these brands. Why don't you just go and like make your own? Um, and we've also had a lot of other guests who like have owned agencies as well in the past. But this was like the one agency that was like specifically in the creative space. Um, and then we started seeing, I'm slowly starting to see more creative people come into the e-commerce space rather than like, you know, um, paid performance or performance marketers. Like, you know, we just had um, Gia comes from like a creative founder. Um, we're talking to somebody from Spotify who was a creative founder, um, Emmett himself, creative. And, uh, you know, I think their backgrounds and their um, skill sets are going to really tie to all the macro and micro trends that we just discussed. And so they come with like a fresh new perspective um, with a huge advantage in like when it comes to like building a TikTok organic strategy, building a media strategy for the company, um, etc. So pattern pattern was definitely um, one of my favorites as well as um, taps for the same reasons. Yeah. Um, and uh Let's see what, what else. I think another fun thing is like experiencing the product. So this is, this is fun. We have a little goodie bag right here. Um, so this bag is made by Swag Up and inside from Michael yeah. we got on in, in Miami. So that's kind of fun. And in the bag, we have a bunch of different products from some of the brands that we've had on. So why don't I just, we'll just pull out and start going. Okay, so what do we have first? So we have, we got Bite um, over here. Um, Lindsay, right? Yeah, Lindsay from Bite. So they were building, um, they were building sustainable toothpaste that instead of being a physical toothpaste in a tube, it's bits that you can just put in your mouth and chew. Um, and so sustainable, eco-friendly toothpaste. They were on Shark Tank, and Lindsay's killing it with Bite. Really cool product, amazing brand packaging, um, and amazing mission. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy when she mentioned something about. I don't even remember the stat. I just remember like sort of how something regarding the empire state building like empty oh, yeah, tubes yeah. or something well, you know she was talking about like when it comes to pitching investors you have to give them something that right. they can visualize right so for bite their mission was all about like you know environmental like how much we're saving by like the tubes that you would throw mm -hmm. out and whatever so when she quantified the problem she was like if i just give them a number they're not going to know what that means mm -hmm. but if i'm like this could fill however many thousand empire state yeah. buildings like wow that becomes yeah. something that you can wrap your head around yeah, um, yeah 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 i remember that that really stood out yeah um okay so that that was a fun one. Oh, i have to get i have to get the and this one this we had sean on from uh ridge which is your wallet yeah 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 that was an awesome one um yeah so what i loved about that sean had um you know, Sean was in the driver's seat taking them from 10 mil in revenue to 100 mil, 100 mil plus in revenue. Um, so Ridge is, uh, is massive, the, the wallet. And um, the lesson that really stuck out there was, you know, as you scale, getting those operations tight um, and getting your inventory tight and everything like that. Because it seems like 
for brands to hit the 10 mil mark, um, you know, it's one thing, but as you start that next journey to get to a hundred, um, it's a whole new beast. So, um, if, if you're a brand and you're at that scale stage, definitely recommend, um, tuning into, to Sean's episode. Yeah. I think, um, you know, what, in terms of like the operational, you know, um, what's it called? Like, just just being so diligent in like how you run the operations of your business is it's like it's not what many people are willing to do it's like swallowing the frog like it's not the pretty stuff about the business and like you just have to get deeply passionate about it um i love it uh like i love reading financial reports i love unit economics i love you know business operations and increasing efficiencies there um because but like, but when you're, you know, reading about it is one thing and getting educated in one thing, but like when it's your business and like, you're like staring at those numbers and like making use of them and like knowing that it takes time to see improvements there, um, and staying at it, like that's kind of the shitty part. But like, um, if you do it, you're, you're instantly, you know, I guess in the 1% of operators who just actually know the numbers of their business in and out. Um, because if you don't, uh, I remember what Sean mentioned is like the moment that like one thing changes in your supply chain, um, you're in for a treat. Um, and especially like even with your reporting, um, if you don't do it now, you're going to have to do it later. It's almost like the saying where like, you know, Hey, make time for health now or make time for illness later. Like it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like it's something that's eventually going to creep up and it's going to be such a crush that, um, you know, even if your business gets to such a great point, you're going to raise capital. You might not even be able to because you weren't on it. hundred percent. Um, no, so that, that was a really tactical episode. And I think he, what was his big thing? I think it was about paying your taxes, right? <laughs> yeah, he yeah, was yeah, like, if there's right. one TikTok you can take out of this, uh, remit your taxes in each state. Cause if you don't, that's We still haven't be... made that TikTok. We I think to. we did. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then let's see what else we got here. Um, okay. Next yeah. we've got Rosa Luna Mezcal. Um, so this episode was really fun. Terry is a good friend and he was in Miami and we had him on. Um, and that one was really exciting to talk about a really uh, about launching and building a mezcal, a mezcal brand from the ground up. So building um, one an alcohol business a spirit, in the spirits business that's has slightly different contours than just traditional CPG. Mm -hmm. um, so he shared a lot about like what it takes, the licensing that you need to get to be able to execute distribution channels, what their strategy was in terms of like going into uh, specific restaurants and getting the right accounts, um, as well as bringing a whole lot of operational knowledge from running operations, being COO at MeUndies, um, which was one of the major uh, e-commerce players. Um, so bringing that as well as teaming up um, with an amazing team, a really design forward brand that's landed all the biggest restaurant accounts in the U.S. and has is really going to be a brand to, to watch. Yeah, I mean, I also loved how like, you know, he really just understood which direction the company and the culture of the company had to take to build the brand, um, even like not only in a in, in a way that like the brand would resonate with consumers, but in a way that, you know, the business would be fun to him and his partners to run. 
um, and really aligns with who they are as a, as individuals. Um, it, it was just a really strong lesson for like just pick a lane, um, and you know your your brand voice goes further than your customers. It goes all the way to like from your employees to the end consumer. One thing I loved about uh, love about how they think about the brand is like their motivation for building Rosa Luna is like to do something that they actually genuinely love, right? And he kept alluding that during um, our chat with him. He was like, no, 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 like I wanna do this because this is a way for me to like build the business that I wanna build right. with my friends and have fun every day doing it and feel meaningful and mission. And so that's kind of tuning back into what we were talking about earlier in the conversation in terms of as a founder, finding alignment on um, you know, building a business that really resonates with you and why that's important. So I think, you know, Terry is a, um, you know, as a really seasoned operator and second time, uh, multiple time founder, like that's a really, um, really important bit that he gets into about like the motivation and why he's building the brand. Um, okay, next we've got Zbiotics, the world's first uh, genetically engineered uh, CPG brand. Mm -hmm. um, so we had Zach on, and what was really cool, you can see the little little, little shots here. Um, but what you do with these guys is you drink them before you Did go you out. See that? Check it out. Um, you drink it before you drink alcohol, and they've um, genetically engineered the probiotics in there to metabolize the acetaldehyde that's pro produced as a byproduct of alcohol, which is what makes you hungover. Um, and my big takeaway from Zach, one, they're obviously you know light years ahead of what a lot of other brands are doing in, from a technology standpoint and really building that into a product, but I think the big takeaway from them was um, the factors and the considerations of what goes into building a CPG or a beverage product and how that's gonna fit into um, your manufacturer's facilities, right? Uh, so one thing he alluded to was like, hey, when you genetically engineer probiotics to be shelf stable and to break down alcohol and do all these things, they're really hard to kill. So like if we're doing a production run, like and the next time, our manufacturer has to run a different recipe or something like it's really hard for them to clean out um, and then also nailing the shelf stability of the probiotics and all these different variables um, you know that's just something to think if you're going to craft a new drink and that's not something we've seen just from um, from Zbiotics, but even talking to Kevin from Lunar, which is a hard seltzer, talking to um, uh, Melanie from Gia, which is a non-alcoholic aperitivo. Um, these are all drinks that are different and break the traditional mold of what goes in like to a tr preserved, like shelf-stable orange juice mm -hmm. or something, or it's not just like a sparkling water. So they, uh, there's all these other considerations that go into the manufacturing that you know they kind of learned the hard way. So I guess the takeaway is if you're building one of those brands in the early days, it's just good to know the expectations of what, what goes into your products and how that affects your scalability in the early days. Yeah, I mean, what I loved about that one was like the GMO, like how they're like, they, they, you know, they're like, no, GMOs are good. Like GMOs can be good. Not necessarily that they're good, but it just shows how much education the consumer um, still needs in terms of like what kind of GMOs can actually like be for their benefit. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I imagine, you know, it's not an easy business to build when like 
you have to be the first one out there and say i'm gmo yeah. <laughs> and like try to market that as like a benefit for you you know well i think that goes into the other thing that we've been seeing a lot and i know terry brought this up and we talked a little bit about it today but like when you're building a brand like you need to pick a side mm -hmm. right um yeah. and if you're building a brand and you just kind of appease everyone and right. like it's like it's really hard to create that true fandom behind right. it like, like a, a tribe a, yeah, yeah like a tribe or a fan they always have like an enemy that they can point towards and you're always right. picking a side so um whether that is something that you guys that as a listener you're building into your culture it's like we ascribe to this belief and not that belief or into your product in terms of we are for this community not that community um right. that's just something that is uh, seems to be a recurring theme that we've seen a lot on the podcast. Um, next uh, is uh, Flow State Coffee, uh, New Wave, Flow State yeah. from Greg. Um, so that one, this one is really fun because what this is is like highly, is coffee for like ultra high productivity. Um, it, it, I'm super pumped we had Greg on with us in the podcast. He came here, dropped off really graciously a bunch of product for us. And uh, this is something that like I genuinely rely on in my day to day. Every single day I have my new wave and um, I think it solved my any ADD that I may have had. It's just like I take it and I'm dialed in all day and I, yeah. I'm not like trying to promo this or whatever, but I genuinely like love this product. What's your promo code? What's that? Yeah, I wish I, I wish I had one. I need one because uh, no, I'm addicted to this stuff. But it's it, it's really cool because it just goes to show. I remember when we had Greg on the podcast. He came on. He's like telling us about his product and like obviously in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah great. I'm sure this coffee is like mm -hmm. this is the next best thing or whatever. And then you know he had dropped off all this product and it goes to show. I think the power of product seeding. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself a product seeder. But how that strategy can work when you genuinely get real fans of your product we're using it all the time um, you know uh, again it's really easy to hear something and read some marketing message and be like yeah, yeah yeah okay whatever but like when you actually take something and you're like oh wow I really like this it right. it changes and you know it, I've through the podcast many of the brands that we've just brought up and discussed I've introduced them to friends and that's those are the you know that's what organic looks like in a very um, anecdotal sense For sure, totally yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and then uh, the last one we've got, well, it's just the bag, but um, Michael from, um, from Swag Up, what they're building is basically a way for any brand to create and distribute swag. Um, and so you can see here the logo on it is, uh, was for Miami uh, on deck, which was where me and Ramon met. Uh, coincidentally, Michael produced all the, the bags and the swag for the on deck drop in Miami. But um, you know, I think what's really cool about the business they built, built in that episode is like they're over, you know, they've done over like 100 mil in revenue. They're a really big business and what they're going to, you know, set out and create is the destination where you can go to create, manage, and distribute swag, which is, you know, something that yeah. a lot of businesses need. Maybe not so much e-commerce businesses because they create yeah. their own swag, but for other businesses, enablement business, SaaS businesses. Well, no, I don't think CPG brands make their own swag. Um, yeah, and I think that's something you start to see more of. I don't. I'm sure they have other brands that they're working with, but it, it, it's definitely a cool option if you need to spin up and store and, and distribute it, right? Because a lot of the challenge of it isn't just getting uh, 
one like a sweatshirt or a bunch of hoodies or a bunch of bags made then it comes the part right. about like the, the logistics experience of it and sharing it, it distributing yeah. it mailing it getting it in the hands of the right people at the right time mm -hmm. um so yeah those were some of the ones that we just had in in the studio as well as the many many more guests that like you know we've had on who are all building amazing products but um you know not to to drone on any longer but um anyway i want to thank you guys for all the support for tuning in and uh and and growing with us um hopefully uh there's a lot of lessons to take away from you guys as you continue to build your businesses if there's any uh if there's any topics you want us to cover get into any questions that you have you can always hit us on uh social we're on instagram as the d2c pod um at the dtc pod yeah at the dtc pod um you can find us on linkedin TikTok, twitter you know a little bit everywhere but twitter is dtc underscore underscore pod just one and then just two underscores yeah i don't know why that's the case but they just stayed like that and then tiktok is what DTC just ddc pod. pod yeah um but yeah hopefully you know we do this recap 200 episodes later again episode 400 yeah we'll, we'll see you we'll see you in a couple hundred episodes. episodes uh in the meantime like when me and ramon alluded to we're going to be having on some amazing founders creators consumer founders and we also want to open it up so not necessarily just, like obviously it's gonna be a whole bunch of D2C, but we wanna hopefully inspire you guys with builders and creators and uh, other sort of operators that come from slightly adjacent fields to take those lessons and apply them to your businesses. Um, and we have a lot of really cool guests I know in the pipeline, some in the creator space, some in the media space. Uh, I know our friend uh, Chris over at Vehicule, mm -hmm. he's gonna be coming on talking about collabs they've done with um, you know, OVO, Rolls-Royce, uh, Bentley and some major brands. So um, really excited just for the whole, just for what's, what's to come with this. Sweet, awesome. Cool, thanks guys. Thank you.